Africa rise and shine Africa forza Africa amka na unai Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa rise and shine This is Channel Africa from an African perspective and we're coming to you live in Johannesburg, South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on DSTV's audio bouquet channel 802 as well as 15255 kilohertz on the 19 meter band to West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabiso Lohoko and Figlelingwati. In our top stories, Liberia Supreme Court begins hearing election appeal. UN advocate gives voice to victims of sexual exploitation and South Africa marks 4 years since the death of Nelson Mandela. In economics news, Kenya Airways sacks striking engineers and in sports news, Hugo Bruce sacked as the coach of Cameroon's indomitable Lions. But first up the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. The United States Supreme Court has ruled that President Donald Trump's travel ban on six mainly Muslim countries can go into full effect pending legal challenges. The decision is a boost for Trump's policy against travelers from Chad, Iran, Libya, Somalia, Syria and Yemen. The Trump administration says the ban is crucial to protect US national security and deter terror attacks. The BBC's Gary O'Donoghue reports. Donald Trump's attempts to impose a travel ban on certain countries have been mired in the courts for months. Opponents say the restrictions are unconstitutional and discriminatory, targeting Muslims in particular. But the administration argues that the president has a duty to protect the US from terrorism and that the countries on the list pose a threat. The Supreme Court has not ruled on the legality of the ban, just that it can go into effect while the arguments continue in the lower courts. However, this does mark a significant victory for the president, at least for the time being. Yemen's exiled president Abdurrahman Mansour Hadi has ordered troops to advance on Sana'a after his predecessor was killed by Houthi rebels as heavy fighting continues in the capital. Hadi has also called on Yemenis to unite against the Iran-backed insurgents who shot and killed Ali Abdullah Selah after he fled the city following the collapse of the alliance. Selah, who ruled Yemen for 3 decades, had joined forces with the Shiite Houthi rebels in 2014 when the They took control of large parts of the country including the capital Sanaa. Yemen's war has left thousands of people dead, led to one of the world's worst humanitarian crises and deepened tensions between Middle East rivals Saudi Arabia and Iran. Egyptian security forces have killed five suspected militants in a shootout in a province east of the capital Cairo. The Interior Ministry says police also arrested six militants in follow-up raids on a desert area in the Shakwea province. Egypt's military and security forces have been waging a year-long campaign against militants, mainly in the northern region of the Sinai Peninsula where Islamic extremists carried out the country's deadliest attack last month, killing 305 people. The country has been in a state of emergency for months. 
A United Nations conference has heard that humans are poisoning the environment and themselves at an alarming rate with pollution of the oceans, soil and air, now the biggest killer. Urging rapid and united action from governments, businesses and individual consumers, Envoys underlined that 9 million people are now killed by pollution every year, one in six global deaths. Environment ministers and deputies from more than 100 countries are gathered in the Kenyan capital, Nairobi, to prepare a global political declaration entitled Towards a Pollution-Free Planet. And finally, hundreds of people from across South Africa are expected to converge on Mtata and the country's Eastern Cape province, where the fourth anniversary of former President Nelson Mandela's passing will be commemorated. The event was preceded by a memorial dialogue hosted by the Nelson Mandela Museum. Fundisa Mlekude reports. The streets around the Nelson Mandela Museum in the CBD have been cordoned off. A huge marquee has already been erected right in front of the museum. Provincial Premier Pumulo Maswale and Arts and Culture MEC Pebi Madridina are expected to officiate in the release of 100 white doves and the lighting of 100 candles, which the museum says symbolize Matiba's living age and his plea for peace in the world. In preparation for the commemoration, four races were held over the weekend in honor of Madiba. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you. And Liberia's Supreme Court has begun hearings of an appeal filed by two political parties claiming fraud in the first round of the presidential election and calling for a rerun of the vote. Leader of Liberty Party Charles Brumskine, along with incumbent Vice President Joseph Boakai of the Unity Party, brought the demand to the West African country top court after the Electoral Commission ruled that irregularities recorded during voting did not affect the overall result. A ruling is expected on Thursday. Liberian journalist Joel Brooks has more. Yeah, uh, St. Pinkos on Friday had a day-long uh, argument uh, in the case. And then at the end of the day, after about almost like eight hours, at the end of the day Friday, the, the, the case, the hearing, not the hearing, the ruling would now be handed down this Thursday of this week. So librarians are looking forward to seeing what the Supreme Court is going to say. More librarians are saying they are tired and they want to have the election. Whosoever is elected, let the country go ahead. So librarians are so anxious to listen to the Supreme Court on Thursday. Now, what impact does this uncertainty have on the day-to-day lives of librarians, uh, Mr. Brooks? Well, it has a lot of effect because uh, if you if you walk down the streets of Morovia, you see people are grouping, having small, small groups discussing about the political uh, situation in the country. In fact, the prices are climbing high. The gasoline prices are climbing high. People are wondering what is happening. In fact, as I speak to you today, the rate, the U.S. dollar to Liberian dollar is now 128 to 1 U.S. dollars. 128 dollars to 1 U.S. dollars. So people are so worried about the whole situation. 
Probably people are saying that if election is held, maybe things will go down. But right now, as we speak, Liberians are, are so anxious to see the election taking place. Now, President uh, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf has made it clear that she wishes to hand over power to a democratically elected president when her time uh, in office comes to an end uh, next year. And of course, uh, should the electoral process not be completed by then, she would be required uh, to hand over power to a transitional government. Do you think it could reach a stage where a transitional government would have to be formed as a result of these uh, delays? Yeah, that, that's what, that's one of the things that people are saying. Liberians are saying, in fact, they are not prepared for any transitional or interim government. And then uh, that's the reason why they are calling on the political parties to see reasons. They are calling on the Supreme Court to see reasons. They are also calling on National Election Commission to see reasons because the more... Uh, Madam President stay in power, the more librarians will continue to murmur. Uh, they are saying they don't want no uh, transition or interim government. Uh, the president, right, the president should be handing over power, transitional, her, her period will be ending in January, and she's supposed to turn over to the next government. We are moving towards the time, and librarians are so concerned, and they are worried and saying, uh, if Madam President stay in power, at the end of the day, nothing will be realized but to hand over power to the the the, the Senate protem. Because actually, according to the Constitution, such situation like this, the Speaker takes over. But now the Speaker now is in politics. The Speaker is now the running mate to, to Vice President Joseph Barker. So the only person, perhaps, who can who can hand, who can take over from the president if the direction will be the Senate pretend. But Labrina is saying they still want to have the president elected and they don't want any transitional period, they don't want any interim period. So those are those are the things Labrina is saying every corner of the city or every corner of the country you go to Labrina is saying they want the election to be held. Now is the Liberty Party confident that the Supreme Court of Appeal will rule in its favor? <laughs> that's the that's that's a million dollar question. In fact, uh, the, the Liberty Party, when I talked to one of the spokespersons of the Liberty Party, uh, Liberty, Liberty Party is very optimistic that uh, it will be in their interest. Uh, Unity Party also, which is part of the lawsuit, is also saying it will be in their interest. And they're very sure that uh, their candidate, uh, Vice President Brecker, is the man who is queued to be the president of Liberia. So, I mean, that's it. And one of the things that happened in recent times, just last week, the president had to dismiss her labor minister. She did dismiss the labor minister because the labor minister was part of a group, a youth group that demanded her resignation. So she went and dismissed the labor, labor minister. So that's another uh, talk of the town here. People are talking about why the president had to dismiss her labor minister because he's, he spoke out, you know. Those are the things. That was Joel Burks, Liberian journalist on the line from Monrovia, speaking to Kumbela Munjelele. It is 8.11 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Zimbabwe's new cabinet took oath of office yesterday and immediately promised to hit... hit the road running and deliver. Last week, a 22-member cabinet was appointed comprising some ministers regarded as Deadwood who served in President Mugabe's administration. Some of the ministers were accused of corruption. A public outcry ensued and 
On a technicality, President Emerson Nagagwa fired three ministers as he had erroneously exceeded his constitutional mandate to appoint only five non-constituency ministers. Simon Mujemo has more from Harare. The Zimbabwe national anthem signified the dawn of a new era as 21 ministers took oath of office in the capital Monday. This is a new cabinet appointed last week to finish off the current term after the resignation of Robert Mugabe. 22 ministers were appointed, but that was greeted with some public outcry as some who made it were accused of corruption. In rectifying that mistake, President Mnangagwa fired three ministers as he had appointed more ministers outside parliament. As a result, the media and information minister Christopher Mchangwa was not replaced and remains vacant. Mnangagwa had this to say. I have a new cabinet just to finish the term of the former president. Uh, which is a period of between six to seven months. How do you feel face in your first ten days? It has been hectic, but I believe that um, with my team we'll stand to the challenge. Any promises to Zimbabwe? That I want them united. We must grow our economy. It was unclear why Munangagwa had to fire three ministers after the public outcry, but the war veterans leader Muchangwa gave this explanation. There must have been an oversight on the advisory team, you know, and, and uh, it, that had to be corrected. So uh, it has been done. The team is in place, and want, I'm sure the president wants to get on with the job. No hard feelings? No, no, I would have hard feelings. <laughs> Is the man with the with the mandate to appoint, and we can always make sure that uh, we support him in whatever role we can. Thank you so much, Honourable. Okay. Meanwhile, Nangagwa's team promised to hit the road running as expectations are so high among his citizens after 37 years of pain and starvation under Mugabe's rule. Finance Minister Patrick Chinamasa explained how the new cabinet was serious with results. Yes, uh, the strategies are going to be discussed uh, today. We have a cabinet committee on financial and economic affairs and also in the budget. We'll have to say something about it. Mm. But I will not want to discuss what is going to be in the budget today. Mm. It's a collective decision. Okay. We have to discuss it in the cabinet. We have a budget process which we are going to follow through and you'll be able to hear that on Thursday. I'm presenting my budget on Thursday. A former ZANU-PF youth, Esli Mumba, attended the low-key ceremony and had this to say. Look, I think the president is ready to get to work. He's demonstrated that he's ready to go to work. He's picked a team that he trusts to be able to deliver that job. It's his prerogative. The president has a job to do. He's picked a team that he believes can do that job for him. The only thing I care about is will they make room and space for young people within those ministries, and I think they will. Meanwhile, the health minister, David Parrenyatwa, said his team was starting work on a said note following a tragic accident that killed 21 health officials over the weekend. 
Dr. Parinyato appealed for assistance as this is a national disaster. As a ministry, we're in mourning because we lost a lot of people, 21 people uh, at once. And a lot of them were people who were recruited from the community to help us with the spraying uh, program. Each year, we, as you know, it's now raining. Each year we have a program to spray in certain districts of our country. And these are the trucks that carry the people to go and spray from village to village. And this is the, uh, the truck that they were using. So it's really, really so painful for us that this has happened uh, in this country at this time. In Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa for Channel Africa. The United Nations says the death of former Yemeni President Ali Abdullah Saleh in an attack in Sana'a will add an extreme level of complexity to an already difficult political situation. Saleh was killed in a roadside attack after switching sides in the country's civil war, reportedly over his abandoning of the Iran-aligned Houthi rebels in favor of a Saudi-led coalition. Pictures of the former president's corpse wrapped in a blanket have been circulating on social media clearly showing a bullet wound to his head. Sean Brasspiece reports. The images are gruesome, but the face has a striking resemblance to the former president. Officials from Saleh's General People's Congress Party confirmed that he died in an attack south of the capital. Secretary General spokesperson Stefan Dujeric called the events disturbing. It obviously adds uh, an extreme level of complexity to already a very difficult political situation. It, uh, we have seen uh, extremely worrying rise of violence in, in Sana, as I've mentioned, over the last, uh, over the last few days. Um, this only adds an, another layer of suffering uh, to the people of, of Yemen, uh, especially right now those in Sana, as we said, where civilian infrastructure is being targeted. Saleh's death comes just days after he moved to align himself with the Saudi-led coalition that is trying to reinstall Yemen's internationally recognized government that operates from outside of the capital. The Houthis, who control the capital, viewed this as a coup and killed him. We have no independent confirmation. We've seen the press reports. We've seen the photos that are circulating. We've seen the, the, the statements from uh, the GCP itself. But uh, if we have no independent confirmation, that we, we take it uh, that it's happened, but it's not something we're able to confirm. Saleh loyalists had been in an alliance with the Houthis since 2015 in an effort to oust the government of President Abdrabu Mansur Hadi, which the Saudi coalition supports. The UN says no humanitarian flights have been able to reach the capital over the last few days. We remind all parties to the conflict that deliberate attacks against civilians and against civilian and medical infrastructure are clear violations of international humanitarian law and may constitute war crimes. Our humanitarian colleagues are receiving desperate calls for help by trapped families but are unable to reach those who have been injured and there have been reports of even ambulances coming under attack. UN Chief Antonio Guterres earlier said that the outbreak of violence in the capital could not come at a worse time for the people of Yemen, already caught up in the world's largest humanitarian crisis. His special envoy, who is currently in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, will brief the Security Council via video link Tuesday on the latest developments. There is widespread concern that Saleh's death will escalate the fighting in the days and weeks ahead. I'm Sherwin Bricepies in New York. 
Hello and welcome to Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We broadcast from Johannesburg in South Africa and our main aim is to provide you with news, views, knowledge and entertainment from Africa to Africans and listeners from around the world. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Diana Wanyonyi in Mombasa. For Channel Africa, I am Kumbero Munjarere in Johannesburg. Channel Africa, Kinshasa, Jean-Noel Bamweze. Reporting for Channel Africa from Zambia, I am Hilda Kekelwa. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Channel Africa. Kultanjoy Addis Ababa. Africa Rise and Shine. I am Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. This is Simon Muchemwa in Harare, Zimbabwe. Jean Noel Bamwisi, Channel Africa, Kinshasa. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja. This is Moki Kinzeka. In Yawundi, informing the world about Africa. In Lesotho. And I am Dana Wanyonyi for Channel Africa in Mombasa. It's 8.21 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Transforming those who have suffered sexual exploitation and abuse perpetrated by UN personnel from victims into survivors is the goal of the first ever official appointed to advocate on their behalf. Jane Connors took up the post of UN Victims' Rights Advocate in August and undertook her first field visit two months later. She has already visited the UN's peacekeeping operation in the Central African Republic and this week she is heading to South Sudan. They are two of the four countries where the majority of cases of sexual exploitation and abuse have occurred. Jane Connors spoke to Alban Mendes de Leon about the lessons she has already learned from the Central African Republic and her hopes for the future. There's been a long period of time within the UN where policies and reports have been issued with regard to sexual exploitation and abuse in this context. Uh, But there wasn't really that focus on the victims. It was sort of all in the mix, but this role is to give a voice to the victims. I like to say we want to translate a victim into a survivor. And to translate a victim into a survivor, you need to ensure that from the very moment that the victim can complain, the victim knows where to complain, the complaint will be taken seriously, investigated seriously, and any immediate assistance requirements or long-term assistance requirements will be met, and hopefully there will be accountability um, through justice. You were recently in Central African Republic. Mm -hmm. This was your first mission to meet victims and communities affected Mm -hmm. by uh, sexual exploitation and abuse. What lessons did you learn from your mission? I learned that um, in context of poverty, insecurity and 
general lack of enjoyment of human rights, um, these sorts of issues can occur and occur much more easily than in other contexts. I learnt that the context also um, colours what may be the reaction of those who are working in that area. Um, and I learned that um, the human spirit is resilient. Uh, I spoke to communities, and I think what well, wasn't interesting, what was disturbing for me is that violence is, seems to be a part of the way uh, people live in the Central African Republic. With regard to the victims to whom I spoke, um, I was really struck by they wished for justice, they wished for accountability, but they weren't sitting around waiting for it. Um, they were getting on with their lives, assisted uh, by one of the uh, programs, UNICEF, and by implementing partners. There are also local mm -hmm. uh, victim rights advocates. Yes, that's right. What is their role and how do you work with them? good example is how I worked with the VRA in uh, Central African Republic. She and I met with the victims. She and I um, spoke with uh, those who were involved in the investigations of some. And then uh, she, she and I will follow up on the various cases. But she will do the on the ground uh, work and, of course, deal with the funds and programs in other parts of the UN. In five years' time, where <laughs> do you see the situation of the UN response to sexual exploitation and abuse? Can it be eradicated? Will it ever be eradicated? Um, five years, difficult to say. All I hope is that um, during that five-year period that we will see um, people who have had these things happen to them rise up and be able to talk about their situation, not suffer from stigma, not suffer, suffer from fear and be able to report. The shame and the stigma should lie on the perpetrator, not on the victim. And we're hoping, we hope with this, well, I could say I'm confident, but I'm very hopeful that with this focus on the rights, the wishes, the desires of the victim, that uh, we'll move towards that eradication. But I really hope that we can say this is not inevitable conduct. That's UN Advocate for the Rights of Victims of Sexual Exploitation and Abuse, Jane Connors, speaking to Alan Mendes de Leon. We, the people of South Africa, feel fulfilled that humanity has taken us back into its bosom. The world has seen how deeply he believes in freedom, human dignity, and the right of the individual to fulfill his or her dream. I think for the rest of the world, his legacy will be the symbolism of his own character, of his extraordinary gift for forgiveness and reconciliation. Nelson Mandela is a living embodiment of the highest values of the United Nations. Nelson Mandela, South Africa's giant in history. 
Today marks four years since the passing of former South Africa's President Nelson Mandela on the 5th of December in 2013 and the Nelson Mandela Foundation will mark the day with the opening of an exhibition titled Unthreading Mandela. UDM leader Bandolo Misa is expected to deliver a keynote address and the day will also kickstart the centenary of his birth that will culminate on his birthday on July 18, 2018. Ntakwana Ngadani reports. A day that South Africans dreaded, but that came nonetheless, and President Jacob Zuma had the unenviable task of making the announcement. Fellow South Africans, our beloved Nelson Holisasa Mandela, the founding president, of our democratic nation has departed. He passed on peacefully in the company of his family around 2050 on the 5th of December 2013. With those words, South Africa was thrown into mourning. He is now resting. He is now at peace. Our nation has lost its greatest son. Our people have lost a father. His tireless struggle for freedom and him, the respect of the world. For 10 days, South Africa mourned. Thousands bid him farewell where he was laid in state at the Union Buildings for three days and he was laid to rest on 15 December 2013. Those who had been through the West with him reminded the world of his sacrifice. Late ANC stalwart, Ahmed Katrada. This is the cell that belonged to Mr. Mandela. Now, there are no flush toilets here, so this was the toilet bucket. And for the first 14 years, we slept, <coughs> sorry, we slept on the ground uh, on two mats uh, and three blankets. Uh, beds came after 14 years. This window here at the back of us, the top two window panes were not there. So it brought in more cold and it was more punishment. His release would make international headlines. Former President F.W. de Klerk. The government has taken a firm decision to release Mr. Mandela unconditionally. I'm serious. I'm serious about bringing this matter to finality without delay. There's Mr. Mandela, Mr. Nelson Mandela, a free man taking his first steps into a new South Africa. Mandela's name had made waves. Former U.S. President Bill Clinton. It was early on a Sunday morning in Arkansas. I got my daughter up, took her down, we turned on the television, and uh, we watched him walk to freedom together. For the Nelson Mandela Foundation, 5 December is one of the days in the calendar that should not only be a reminder of who Madiba was, but also a lesson for who he would be. CEO Silo Hatang. This is a, a big moment for us. We, we're not only marking the fourth anniversary of Madiba's passing, but we, we're also uh, ensuring that we, 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 we're responding to the call to make the centenary a big moment.
The anniversary of Madiba's passing also marks the beginning of a series of events to mark 100 years of his birthday on July 18, 1918, that will culminate on his birthday next year. The message, to go back to his ways. Silohatang. The centenary is about uh, responding to the call of changing lives of people. They did not just be about reminiscing about Madiba's past, about the hundred years that were, but rather about the hundred years that still to come. How do we want those hundred years to look like? How do we want those who are still to be born to remember Madiba? And uh, this unthreading exhibition is also about ensuring that we, we're saying to people, um, as you remember Madiba, let's remember that every day we undo the legacy through our actions of not living up to the values of freedom, of justice, of an equal society, free of poverty, um, one that does not oppress its uh, most vulnerable. Speakers at tonight's exhibition unveiling will include Nelson Mandela Foundation Chairperson Professor Njabulo Ndebele, UDM Leader General Bantu Holomisa, and Chairperson of the Government Interministerial Committee on Nelson Mandela's Centenary, Minister Jeff Khadebe. I'm Takwanangatan in Johannesburg. Our headlines up next with Ad Musa. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, the United States Supreme Court rules that President Donald Trump's travel ban on six mainly Muslim countries can go into full effect pending legal challenges. Yemen's exiled President Abad Dalabu Mansur Hadi orders troops to advance on Sana'a after his predecessor was killed by Houthi rebels as heavy fighting continues in the capital. And a United Nations conference hears that humans are poisoning the environment and themselves at an alarming rate with pollution of the oceans, soil and air, now the biggest killer. Those are the stories making headlines. It's 8.33 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. On this day in 2013, South Africa and the world lost one of the most one of its most iconic leaders and statesmen, Nelson Rolihlahla Mandela. Mandela, the first president of South Africa to be elected in a fully representative democratic election, as well as the country's first black head of state, died at the age of 95 after suffering from a prolonged respiratory infection. Thousands of people from across the country are expected to take part in various commemorative events in his honor. In Mtata, Mandela's hometown in the Eastern Cape Province, hundreds of people will gather where the fourth anniversary of his passing will be officially remembered. Joining us on the line from Mtata is our reporter Fundiswa Mklegude. Fundiswa, thank you so much for joining us and a very warm welcome to Channel Africa Radio. 
Good morning, Lolo. Thank you very much for having me. Fundiswa, just give us a picture of exactly what's going to be happening today in Mtata. And, uh, you know, uh, when has it, what time is it starting? Just give us a few details. Okay, Lulu, uh, just uh, right now it's a little bit quiet, but uh, people are coming uh, bit by bit to, to the Nelson Mandela Museum here in Tata CBD. Uh, earlier on, we spoke to Arts and Culture NEC, Ms. Penny Majudina, who told us that uh, uh, during the course of the day we will witness the release of about 100, of 100 uh, white doves uh, and uh, the lighting of 100 candles which she says uh, symbolize uh, the age of, of Dada Nelson Mandela and uh, his plea for peace uh, in the world. And uh, uh, right now we uh, also spoke to the chairperson of the Nelson Mandela Museum who says it's going to be quite a busy day as uh, they are also expecting the premier of the province and other people who will come uh, to the museum to celebrate uh, 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 Dada Nelson Mandela's uh, uh, years um, here in the Eastern Cape. And uh, inside the museum, as I said, it's, it's a bit quiet. We have uh, hawkers who are selling their beadwork uh, inside the museum. And outside the museum, um, uh, as I said earlier, that uh, there is a, a tent that has been erected, a very huge marquee, and people are busy uh, finishing up just a few touch-ups before the, 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 the main event. Now, Fundiswa, let's speak about the Memorial Dialogue, which was hosted by the Nelson Mandela Museum last night. What did the speakers say about the great man um, and who were the main who were the main speakers at the event well the main speaker was the former IEC provincial commissioner uh, Reverend uh, Bongani Finga who spoke about uh, uh, Mandela's sacrifice uh, in, in liberating the country he said Mandela would be very disappointed in the current situation in the country as he says the country is marred by corruption and he also decried uh, the issue of the selling of of black people as slaves in in, in Libya saying that Mandela would be very disappointed in that uh, in, in that situation he also said that the people should follow in uh, or Nelson Mandela's footsteps as he uh, he, he put himself in other people's sufferings and never for a while thought that he, as the statement, was better than any other person. Now, yesterday, um, the public protector, Busisuim Krebani, released a report on an investigation um, into allegations of misappropriation of public funds for the funeral of uh, late Utada Nelson Mandela. Has there been reaction from anyone in the province with this regard in terms of the report? And have they, has anyone come out and said anything? Well, we spoke to the chairperson of the Nelson uh, Mandela Museum here, Ms. Uh, Andiswa, and uh, she said that they are very, very disappointed that such huge amounts of money were mis- uh, misappropriated in the name of Dr. Nelson Mandela and that they hope that the law will take its course uh, in putting those who are implicated uh, uh, to book. Any response from any government representative that you managed to speak to? Not yet. We haven't spoken to any government 
uh, representative this morning. Well, we hope that when the Premier comes uh, and other government officials, when they come, we will pose that question to them and see what they say about it. Now, Fundiswa, generally um, Mandela was known as a generous man, um, a, a very driven person who was all about the people and the country and the world at large and, and children. What is the general sentiment about Madiba's legacy in the province, given what is currently happening at the level of the leadership of the country? You touched on the reverend who um, basically spoke out against what's happening in the country um, and, uh, you know, the uh, slave trade in Libya. Other things that were brought to the fore in terms of um, the legacy and what are people on the ground saying about the late Nelson Holisata Mandel? When we spoke to a, an old lady uh, after the dialogue last night, she said she remembers that Mandela for the sacrifices that he has made. He, she even said that uh, after his passing, the the children are the ones who are suffering because he loved them so much. And she even said that ever since Dada passed away, uh, there is a gap now, there is a, a, a vacuum because the children no longer celebrate like they used to celebrate Christmas with him and his birthday. And another one, uh, a young man that we spoke to said, uh, Dada Mandela, and he also encouraged other young ones to follow on Dada Mandela's footsteps because he said after his release uh, uh, from prison, he he advocated for peace and that uh, if, if it was any other person, he would be, have been very angry and wanted revenge on those who put them behind bars. But because he was a man of peace that he had advocated, he, he pleaded for peace all around, all, all, all across the world. He made sure that there was peace and that there was no bloodshed at all. That's what they said yesterday after, uh, evening. Fundus, we're just wrapping up very quickly. We have run out of time. Um, what, are, uh, what other events are taking place in the province apart from the main events taking place today? Well, we know this one, and there are uh, small others that are happening uh, in East London and uh, um, Port Elizabeth, but uh, we don't know what, who will be talking there. Uh, we only know about this one that is taking place here in Mutata. Fundi, so we'll leave it there for now. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Lulu. That was our reporter, Fundiswa Mtlegute, joining us from the city of Mtata in the Eastern Cape province, where the late Nelson Rodithata Mandela's passing will be commemorated. We, the people of South Africa, feel fulfilled that humanity has taken us back into its bosom. The world has seen how deeply he believes in freedom, human dignity, and the right of the individual to fulfill his or her dream. I think for the rest of the world, his legacy will be the symbolism of his own character, of his extraordinary gift for forgiveness and reconciliation. Nelson Mandela is a living embodiment of the highest values of the United Nations. Nelson Mandela, South Africa's giant in history. 
South Sudan Ministry of the Environment and Forestry has stepped up efforts to address environmental challenges in the country by undertaking research to map out a plan to deal with flora and fauna. The country has teamed up with the UN Environment Programme to take stock of the way forward in the implementation of its environmental plan. To find out more about this, Wandile Kalipa spoke to Joseph Africano Bartel, Undersecretary of the Ministry of Environment and Forestry in South Sudan at the UN Environment Assembly in Nairobi. I'm just trying to tell people the findings that we have gotten so far. The launch will be next year because the Council of Ministers in South Sudan is, is reviewing the, the report and the President will be launching it uh, most probably late uh, January or early, uh, early February next year. So, so far, what has been found to be the situation? Uh, as I alluded to earlier, uh, climate change is, uh, is a big, uh, is having a lot of impact in South Sudan. We have a lot of droughts, floods. Uh, also, one thing that we are experiencing is a lot of pollution, uh, water pollution, air pollution, and uh, soil pollution that is happening from the the oil companies that are exploiting our oil in in the in the northern part of, of the country. Uh, we have a huge deforestation because the the, the country doesn't have any source of uh, energy, and people are depending on fuel wood as the only source of energy. So deforestation is a big big uh, problem. Uh, the other resources, there's a, we have the largest uh, migration of white-eared cob in the country, and there is a lot of poaching too. So, so that is one thing that we we are trying to to, to curb. So those issues were all kind of like highlighted in the report, and we have some key. Uh, findings and recommendations. So when the report is out, I think uh, the whole world will know about the environmental status of South Sudan. Mm-hmm. So what is the authorities doing currently in order to be able to meet the situation halfway? Uh, as, as a new country, we have uh, developed our national environment policy uh, that has been adopted, passed by parliament, and we have put together our environmental act and we have a lot of environmental guidelines that are being developed at the moment. So we are putting together all those tools such that we'll be able to manage our uh, environment sustainably. Uh, Say, for example, uh, environmental impact and social impact assessments uh, is the main thing in in our policy because there will be a lot of developmental projects coming in so we will not like to kind of like haphazardly continue, say, building roads, dams, and, and even uh, uh, establishing new cities without a clear or a credible environmental impact assessment. Those are things that the affected people were compensated, relocated, and are happy with the project. So that is something that we will be looking into. It will not allow... Uh, the, the natives or the people who are living in the place to be taken advantage of. It's 8.46 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Our economics update up next with Tabi Solohoku.
Good morning. The private sector foundation of Lesotho says it has concluded business deals with Indian companies in the areas of healthcare, pharmaceuticals and agriculture. It has, however, called on the government of Lesotho to urgently avail trade information, saying failure to do so was militating against efforts to attract foreign direct investment into the country. The foundation, which recently took part in the ninth edition of the I for Africa 2017 initiative in India, says the Indian business community is interested in investing in Lesotho's pharmaceutical sector, but has so far been unable to access relevant information on the sector. The government of Zambia is working on a robust program to improve cross-border facilitation at all border posts as it intensifies local resource mobilization. The Ministry of Finance says that the government is working on a program with the Zambia Revenue Authority to improve border facilitation. It highlighted this in a presentation during the private sector business engagement dinner in Mansa at the weekend. South Africa's ruling ANC's Economic Transformation Subcommittee Chair, Ina Kodongwana, says that the upcoming party elective conference will have to demonstrate concrete actions to build confidence in the economy. A brief in the media in Johannesburg, Kodongwana acknowledged that the party was struggling with the implementation of many of its policies. He says that the conference will have to take the concern of rating agencies into consideration. Tsepo Mungwai reports. Kodongwana says the stage is set for delegates to the ruling party's upcoming national conference to consider policies adopted at the policy conference earlier this year for final adoption. Among key policy proposals include land expropriation compensation and the nationalization of the Reserve Bank. Women entrepreneurs in Uganda have been urged to unite and work in groups instead of working as individuals if they are to succeed in cross-border trade. Trade Minister Amelia Kiambade says working as individuals and a lack of support for one another are some of the things hindering women in business. Kiambade calls on women to seek skills and knowledge in their trade and also pass it on so that the businesses have continuity. The retail price of petrol and the wholesale price of diesel in South Africa will increase from Wednesday due to a weaker rand currency and higher crude oil prices. The price of petrol will rise by 71 South African cents while that of diesel will go up by 60 cents. The hefty fuel hike had been expected as a result of higher international prices and the rand's recent weakness against the US dollar. But it still comes as a blow to motorists planning long holiday journeys this December. The US dollar trades at 13.65 in South Africa. It's at 10.14 in Botswana and at 10.12 in Zambia. It's also trading at 74 pence to the British pound, 84 cents to the euro. Gold $1,275. Platinum $925 an ounce. As the price of brand crude oil is at $62.53 a barrel. I'm Tabi Solohoko for Channel Africa.
As Pulse Update up next with Figile Lingwati. First up, Pina Sports Update, it's football news. Cameroon Football Federation has sacked Belgian manager Hugo Bruce after failing to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. The 2017 AFCON winners finished third in their qualifying group behind Zambia and Nigeria. The third time since 1982, the Lions have failed to qualify for the World Cup. And after their disappointing campaign, Bruce, who was appointed in February 2016, has been relieved of his duties and the Cameroonian Football Federation are yet to name a replacement. Rwanda national football team Amavubi Stars will want to make amends when they face Zanzibar in the second Group A match of the ongoing 2017 Sikafasina Challenge Cup today. The Amavubi succumbed to a 2-0 defeat at the hands of host Kenya in their first Group A match at the weekend and they will push to go for a win. Coach Antoine Hayes' side reached the final on six occasions, but they failed to leave the trophy in 2003, 2005, 2007, 2009, 2011 and 2015 and have one title next to their name. Looking at Zanzibar, their mission is to start their group stage campaign with a bang and they will want to ensure Rwanda lose their second match. Zanzibar sit at number four on the group stage with uh, zero points as they are yet to play at the tournament, but will want to beg their first three points to boost their morale. The South African Football Association, SAFA, has parted ways with its head of referees, Peter Sijaki, after he was found guilty of match-fixing. The decision was taken last week after SAFA concluded its investigation into the allegations of match-fixing and corruption leveled at Sijaki after the ABC Municipal League National Playoffs that took place in Bloemfontein in 2016. Sijaki's departure now opens the way for SAFA to replace him with a new head of department for referees. SABC Sports Journalist Vellemuli reports. Earlier this year, SAFA reported that they were investigating allegations of match fixing. A total of six match officials who were believed to be involved in match fixing allegations were consequently suspended from the elite panel that officiates in the Premier Soccer League and the National First Division. It has also been established that the evidence gathered in the SAFA investigation has been handed over to the National Prosecuting Authority and is expected that together with the Hawks, the two law enforcement agencies, together with the police, will take the case forward and possibly charge those found to have transgressed the law. SABC Sport understands that SAFA has already started with the process of filling Sijaka's position and former international referees Jerome Damon and Enoch Molifi are favorites to take over this position. It's still not clear if Sijaka will be challenging the outcome of the SAFA disciplinary committee or if he will be taking the FA to CCMA. English Premiership side Manchester United will appeal against the suspension of Paul Pogba, but manager Jose Mourinho says the midfielder is looking forward to playing in tonight's Champions League group match against CSK Moscow. He's not suspended for the, for the Champions League. He's very happy to play tomorrow. It's the next match, the match that matters. Of course, a bit, a bit tired because uh, it was a huge match on the last weekend and just two days to... To recover for CSK, but very happy to to play tomorrow and and to try to keep his momentum because since since he was back from injury, he's being phenomenal. 
Lastly, the eyes of the sporting world will be on the International Olympic Committee's headquarters in Lausanne this evening when President Thomas Bach announces whether he and his board have banned Russia from the 2018 Winter Olympics. That's your sport news this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorna. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa, rise and shine at the Sawa. Liberia's Supreme Court begins hearing election appeal. UN advocate gives voice to victims of sexual exploitation and South Africa marks four years since the death of Nelson Rolihlahla Mandel. That wraps up Africa Rise and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumutura Magadza and Komuto Mopulane, technical producer Mario Edwards and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at infochannelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa or send an SMS on 277-969-57930 or WhatsApp on 277-6300-3327. Are taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa as music from Sarafina the movie as we remember Nelson Rolihlahla Mandela today. other nation on this continent. We need the ways of peace, the ways of industry, the ways of concord, and a better life for all our people. The vision of a South Africa where all persons live together in harmony and with equal opportunity.